Please be seated. The passage this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 8. We will be looking at verses 12 through 21. It can be found on page 532 in the Bibles in the pews. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. Let us pray to ask the Lord's help as we seek to understand his word. Father God, we thank you that again you are the source of all wisdom. We thank you that you have given it to us abundantly in Christ And now as we open your word to to get a picture of the character of wisdom, who she is and what she uh, has done, uh, we pray that you would give us insight, that your spirit uh, would um, help us to understand, help us to apply these truths uh, to our lives, that we would become people of wisdom. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What do you love? This can be a very serious question. People likely are first on our list of things that we love. We love our spouse. We love our children, our family, our friends. We love those who are close to us, those who have gone through life with us. Bethany, the girls, and I just got back from spending a little over a week in Pennsylvania with some of those very people. There are lots of other answers to this question as well. For some, the things that we love include our jobs or maybe our hobbies, our personal interests, our recreations. These things are not people, but they still captivate our affections. But this question can also conjure up a number of less serious answers. I love dark chocolate. I love fruit. I love singing random songs whenever they pop into my head, which is unfortunate for my wife. Now, it would be a significant tragedy, but I could spend the rest of my time up here just simply listing things that I love. And as human beings, we have plenty of room for things that we love. But this begs the question, why? Why do you and I love these things? On the one hand, we love because we find these objects to be lovely. There are qualities about our spouses, about our children, about our friends that trigger our love. It might be that they're kind, they're gentle, they're strong, they're humorous. The list is endless. These things stir our affections for them. They draw us to them. And even the sillier things do this. The balance between bitter and sweet is why I love dark chocolate. It's not just blatantly sweet like all the other ones. The diversity of taste and color, along with the freshness, is why I love fruit. And I really do love fruit. But we also love because of what these objects do. 
particularly for and in us. They offer something, whether intentionally or not. One of the many reasons that I love my wife is that she repeatedly encourages me. And she also endures my nonsense, both the silly nonsense and the sinful nonsense. My daughters bring me joy, the joy that comes with being a dad. They give me kisses, they give me hugs, they make me smile. Friends and family offer care, support, and laughs. Fruit is healthy, just like dark chocolate. Singing at random brings me joy and enlightens my mood. It's why I do it often. Now, wisdom provides us with similar reasons and motivations for warranting our love and our eager pursuit of her. In fact, she makes a very convincing argument that she should actually be at the top of our list or near the top of our list. Then this morning, we're going to pick back up in our, our journey through Proverbs 8 and 9, the crown of this first section of the book of Proverbs. And again, it is structured, chapters 1 through 9, as a father's plea to his son that he might choose and love and pursue wisdom above all else. A few weeks ago, you may remember that we looked first in the first 11 verses at the call of wisdom. Wisdom is persistently crying out to us. She is calling to us. She is pleading for us to hear her message. And in our text this morning, we again hear wisdom calling out to us. Only this time, she's not content with just our ears. She doesn't simply want us to listen. She wants our hearts. She wants us to love her. She wants us to see who she is and what she does so that our affections for her might grow. As the nature of her character unfolds then, she hopes that it will captivate those of us who listen. And it will stir within us a deep, deep love of wisdom. So love wisdom because she will not let you down. And wisdom provides us in these, these 11 verses, 10 verses, two good reasons for why we should love her. And they are framed by the I statement she makes in verses 12 and verses 17. She starts it with I. The first, wisdom calls us to love her by assuring us that she is a formidable leader. And second, we will see in verses 17 through 21 that she is a faithful lover. Wisdom is a formidable leader and wisdom is also a faithful lover. First, we begin with wisdom is a formidable leader. Or we could say there is no downside, there is no danger in following wisdom. Boldly and confidently go where she goes. Now today, formidable leaders seem rather rare. Regardless of your political persuasion, I think we can agree that our nation and our world is seriously lacking in the leadership department. Men and women are far more concerned with their own name, with their own prestige, with their own wallets, than leading the people they are called to well. They seem to care little for the people and instead care more for themselves. And sadder still, the Western church finds itself in a similar state. There is a leadership vacuum in far too many churches. The stories of abusive, self-serving leaders have become far too common. In the name of success and growth, wisdom has become secondary at best. So the church, her leaders in particular, of which I include myself very much, we would do well to renew a love and a pursuit of wisdom. But thankfully, wisdom is not like any of these bad leaders. We need not be skeptical of her. We need not doubt her. We need not mistrust her. 
She offers herself as the solution for the folly and destruction of bad leaders. Why? Why is wisdom so much better than all the other leaders that are begging for us to follow them? Why is she so formidable? First off, we see that she surrounds herself with virtuous things. Look at verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. This language is pointed, it's intentional. Dwell is the same word describing God's presence dwelling among Israel in the tabernacle. It is a term reflecting nearness of closeness. And who are these allies? Who is prudence? Who is knowledge? Who is discretion? Prudence is shrewdness. It's good sense. It is the power to render good and right judgments. Knowledge is understanding, in particular understanding of things that are right and things that are wrong. Discretion then involves the ability then to carry out and devise plans. It's to take that knowledge, it's to take that prudence and put it into action. To borrow democratic terms, these four, along with wisdom, comprise her cabinet. Now with 45 presidents under, presidents under her belt, America has seen a number of different cabinets. However, the first may well have been the very best. To help him lead the new democracy, George Washington appointed the likes of Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, Edmund Randolph, if you don't know who he is, the reason we have two chambers of converse, Congress is because of his insight, and Henry Knox, who was a Revolutionary War hero and commander of West Point. He appointed those four men to his cabinet. They were the best of the best in their respective areas of expertise. And Washington relied heavily upon these men to help establish America in her infancy. It was a wise decision. Yet Washington's cabinet, as good as it is, cannot hold a candle to wisdoms. She hasn't simply surrounded herself with good thinkers, with insightful people. She has picked the very things that are essential for the pursuit of what is good and what is excellent. She has picked what is essential for wisdom. So young people, this morning, this may be especially important for you. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are your allies? Our culture and your very own generation will tell you to surround yourself only with people who will affirm and praise everything and anything that you do and anything and everything that you want. This is tempting, but it's also dangerous. It will not lead you in wisdom. Instead, follow the example of wisdom. Choose peers who will push you, who will encourage you, who will challenge you towards wisdom, towards what is right and towards what is true. People who will push you towards the God of all wisdom. And this applies to all of us, not just young people. Surround ourselves with these things, these virtuous things who will help us pursue wisdom. But it isn't simply that wisdom surrounds herself with virtue. Notice that she also casts off vice. She does not let them into her company. She doesn't entertain them. In fact, she says that she hates them. Now, we don't often associate hate with wisdom. Sometimes we might even be tempted to think that it's the antithesis of wisdom. But the truth is, evil, not hate, evil is the antithesis of wisdom. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then it makes sense that wisdom would say the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. 
For this is exactly what the Old Testament says about God himself. In Psalm 5, David declares, For you are not a God who delights in, e- in wickedness. Evil may not dwell, that same word, with you. You hate all evildoers. And if you were to turn back one page to chapter 6, you'll find a very familiar list of six things that the Lord hates in verses 16 through 19. And the similarities are striking. The Lord hates haughty eyes. In our passage this morning, it says pride and arrogance. The Lord hates a lying tongue in chapter 6, a false witness. In our passage this morning, perverted speech. And a lot can and has been said about these evils. If we were to flip forward to the book of James, he provides plenty of space devoted to the tongue and to the pride of our hearts. As humans, we are prone to become arrogant as we gain wisdom. We think it gives us some kind of an advantage over those who are not as wise as us. We completely miss the fact that wisdom is designed to humble, not puff up. And similarly, we are prone then to speak foolishly even as we gain wisdom. From a heart of arrogance, we will choose to boast in our understanding, to make other people see that we speak words of wisdom. And we may, and oftentimes this is what leads to a direct challenge of God in his word. Think of many of the modern arguments growing from within the church regarding sexuality. Folks are claiming a new understanding or fresh insight or a newfound wisdom that approves what scripture clearly condemns. They try to approach it from a posture of wisdom. They have a better understanding. But this is not wisdom, no matter how we try to package it, no matter how well the argument may seem to piece together. It is arrogance. It is choosing to love what is evil and instead to hate what is good. Whereas wisdom tells us the opposite, love what is good, hate what is evil. May we not become blind to this same trap within ourselves first and foremost. In our pursuit of wisdom, may we see, that an, ever, may we see an ever-increasing hatred of evil. Primarily the evil that still dwells within us. The evil of arrogance, the evil of pride, the evil of haughty eyes, of perverted speech. And that's where we should start with this morning. Start with arrogance when we see it in our hearts, when we see it in our relationships. Start with our speech when it comes out towards our children, towards our spouses, towards our friends. Work hard to put these vices to death. This is what true wisdom looks like. This is what happens when we follow her where she's leading. But third, we also see that wisdom has an incredible resume. She has the necessary qualities. She says, I have counsel, sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. She makes it very clear that these things actually belong to her. They are in her possession. They are part of who she is. Each and every person who is planning to run for the upcoming 2020 presidential election, and it seems like that list is growing by the second, they wish they had these qualities. They would pay top dollar to have these qualities. They would be wise to pursue these qualities. Wisdom herself can make all the decisions. She always considers what is right and what is good. She always knows the way to go. Greater still, wisdom has the strength needed to move in that right direction. The word chosen here of strength, it's the same word used to describe warriors, to describe heroes. In other words, wisdom has the strength of a warrior 
to bring about righteousness and justice, to bring about that which is good, that which is virtuous. Is this not a leader that you and I should be eager to follow? Is this not a leader that stands in contrast to every other leader that this world holds out to us and says, follow this person? And on top of these qualities, wisdom has critical experience. She says, by me, it is through me that kings reign, that rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. She says that when this world sees kings and rulers doing good things, and there are plenty of kings and rulers doing good things, we are seeing wisdom at work. We are seeing her influence hold sway. She is enabling these flawed individuals to administer justice, to administer what is right and what is true. She is doing the very work of God proclaimed in Psalm 20, uh, 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. It is these things, righteousness, justice, that come through wisdom. She works to bring them about here on earth, even through flawed leaders and flawed individuals like ourselves. Whether human leaders or we recognize it, we are completely dependent upon wisdom. We are just as lost without wisdom. We need her to lead us in those paths of righteousness. And thankfully, she promises to do that very thing for us. There certainly is wisdom present in palaces, in the White House, in parliaments, but it's also present here at homes, on the streets, everywhere that we go. To those who seek and treasure her, those who love her, she promises to give the same wisdom she gives to kings, to rulers, and to princes. We need only to listen and to follow her. And ultimately, we can be confident following wisdom because ultimately to follow wisdom is to follow Jesus Christ himself. As a man, Luke tells us that Jesus became strong, filled with wisdom, and increased in wisdom. He loved wisdom. He pursued her. And elsewhere in Colossians 2, Paul tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures and the wisdom of knowledge. And in chapter 1, he confesses that Christ is the very creator of thrones, dominions, rulers, and authority. Jesus Christ's life on earth was marked by wisdom, the fear of the Lord. He hated evil, pride, and arrogance. That's why he spoke so harshly to the Pharisees. He hated perverted speech. Instead, he lived out prudence, wisdom, and knowledge while preaching it whenever he opened his mouth perfectly. It was his heroic strength that enabled him to endure the cross, to become the very sin that he hated on our behalf. Jesus Christ is wisdom, our formidable leader. And as we confessed this morning just a few minutes ago, he is our shepherd who leads us. And faithfully and obediently following him on earth will culminate in our dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So go where he leads, where wisdom leads. Pursue the wisdom that he gives. But wisdom is not merely a formidable leader. She is also a faithful lover. She is a faithful lover. There is no disappointment, no dissatisfaction in loving wisdom. Love her deeply. Now this language can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable 
Lover is not a term too often used, especially among my generation and younger. It is typically associated with Shakespeare, I can assume bad romance novels, and an SNL skit if you are familiar with it. But Solomon has no such reservations. He embraces this language to paint just how valuable and just how treasured wisdom is. He bookends verses 17 and verse 21 with this language. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently diligently find me, granting an inheritance to those who love me. Wisdom and her adherents have an intimate relationship. It is one of love, it is one of affection, it is mutual. It is impossible to miss this as you read the Father's advice throughout these first eight chapters. In chapter 3, verse 18, he tells the Son that wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. To those who hold her fast are called blessed. It's a picture of intimacy. In, verses, in chapter 4, verse 6, listed in your bulletin, he says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will keep you. He tells her to love her, and she will guard you. Again, this is very intimate language. And then later in verse 8 of that chapter, he says, She will honor you if you embrace her. And again in 7.4, he says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight my intimate friend. He is pleading with his son to love wisdom, be affectionate for her, be drawn to her. Wisdom is a lover. That's why she's pleading with those who are following her to love her back. Folly, on the other hand, is not a lover. She's a user. We'll see this more in chapter 9. But she seeks to entice. She seeks to lead astray. She has ulterior motives. She is an adulteress. She is seductive. She's dangerous. She cannot and should not be trusted. She will leave those who chase after her far worse than they were before. Wisdom, on the other hand, is faithful. She is reliable. She is the only lover worth loving. Again, this begs the question, why? Why is she worth loving? Why should we pursue her with all our affections? Now, truth be told, the qualities that we just looked at is why she's a leader. They give us plenty of reason to warrant love and affection. She is a leader not only worth following, she's a leader worth loving. She won't lead us astray. She will give us what, she need, what we need. But in this small section, we also see that wisdom is worth loving because she reciprocates that love. She says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. She says, I am not cruel. I'm not harsh. I'm not leading you on a wild goose chase. I'm not nasty or playing some stupid or twisted games like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. She wants to be loved. She wants to be found. Verses 1 through 3 remind us that she's crying out from every square inch of creation, whether public or private, pleading with us to follow her, to find her, to love her. Now, Bethany and I joke about it now, but when I first started dialoguing with her, I both intentionally and unintentionally played a little bit hard to get. And apparently it almost cost me my shot with her. Escape that one. Her average time of response, I did the math, to my messages was just about a day. A day later, I could anticipate a response from her. She made it clear that she was interested. My average response time was about three and a half days. Again, I did the math. What I called not wanting to appear desperate 
she took as, I don't think he's interested. And she has told me she came this close to abandoning pursuit. Thankfully, Bethany was and continues to be patient and long-suffering. She endured my, my slowness, uh, my silly games, and she didn't kick me to the curb. But wisdom is not me. She doesn't play games. She doesn't tease. She doesn't dangle her love and affection only to pull it back. She promises cert with certainty, steadfastly, that those who love her, those who seek her, will be loved by her, will be found by her. Our world is filled with bad lovers. It is filled with vain pursuits, this much is obvious. And yet you and I are too easily swayed and enticed by these. We foolishly chase them like a dog chasing its tail. C.S. Lewis spoke of all of us when he famously said, we are fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We forget the lasting joy and love that simply come by loving wisdom. Loving what is good, what is right, what is pure. For as we saw earlier, it is essentially loving what is good is loving wisdom. So what have you been seeking diligently? Where have you been pouring out your love and your affection, both in private and in public? If it is outright sinful, you can be sure you will be left feeling empty. You will not find joy. You will eventually feel used by the very thing that you love. But even if it's something good, even if you love and have affections for marriage and children and work and relationships, these things are good. If it is void of the pursuit of wisdom, if you are pursuing wisdom here and pursuing these things there, it will not bring you what you want. Wisdom loves those who love her first. She leaves them satisfied. She answers and shows up whenever she is needed. So this morning, examine your affections, your pursuits, and move wisdom to the top of them. But not only do we see that wisdom is worth loving because she reciprocates, she is also worth loving because she gives generously. Actually, I think we can say she gives lavishly. We all love gifts, I think whether we admit it or not. I like to confess that I'm not a gifts person, but I always enjoy opening a present, small or large, from my wife. It shows a glimpse of her love and affection for me. Listen now to the gifts that wisdom promises to give in verses 18 through 21. She says she gives riches and honor. She gives enduring wealth and righteousness. She gives an inheritance. She fills treasuries. For the son hearing these words from his father, these things are the stuff that dreams are made of. Who would ever say, I'm good, I don't need these? To one of these, let alone all of them. Now we do have to be careful. Wisdom is not assuring us here of material prosperity. The book of Proverbs is not a one plus one equals two deal. Contrary to a lot of false teaching, just because you follow a proverb to a T does not mean health, wealth, and blessing are sure to follow. However, wisdom is clearly teaching that all of these things are found first and primarily in loving and pursuing her. So do you want your best shot at riches? Love wisdom, not the riches. You want your best shot at honor? 
from coworkers, from your family, from other people. Love wisdom, for she's the one who's going to lead you to treat people as fellow image bearers, not as objects to be used. Do you want your best shot at increasing righteousness? Love wisdom, because she will lead you in obedience, in a deeper love for the things of God. The problem with us and with the culture that we live in is that we love and pursue the gifts while ignoring wisdom herself. We want her riches without her company. And we ultimately find that these gifts then lack satisfaction, they lack joy, and we're desperately looking and hoping for both. Because if this world has taught us anything, it is that you can make a killing for yourself, lying, cheating, and stealing. You can be an absolute jerk, but be a rich jerk. But wisdom's aims are much higher. She's not interested in lavishing her lovers with things that will ultimately perish and rot. She says she wants to give you enduring wealth. She wants to give you, she wants to pass on an inheritance, which is abundant. It is enduring wealth. It is an inheritance that will ultimately stand the test of time. It is these things that will stretch past this temporary earth and into life and eternity. Because it is wisdom that is linked to righteousness, to justice, to holiness. And once again, we find that Jesus Christ personifies wisdom. He is the faithful lover. Paul paints us this picture in Ephesians 5, the, the, the passage we always run to at wedding ceremonies. He says that as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And earlier in Ephesians, we are promised an eternal inheritance from the Father by the Spirit. Jesus Christ does not play games. He does not withdraw his love based on a whim. He reciprocates, he even initiates love to his bride, to us, his church. And he lavishly pours out on her blessing after blessing after blessing. And one day he is going to bring his bride to himself, where we will forever glory in the presence of our faithful groom, of our faithful lover, enjoying the abundance of his love. So love Christ Pursue him as the true lover of your soul, daily pouring out his blessings upon you. He will not leave you empty. He will not leave you unsatisfied. What do you love? We opened our time with this question, and it seems fitting to end it with it. There are plenty of good and right things stirring and fighting for your affections. The takeaway is not to resist and ignore all of these. Instead, it is hopefully to open our eyes to the inclusion, even the primacy of wisdom. She is imploring us to love her. She is pleading with us to make room for her in our hearts, in our affections. And she demonstrates that she is more than worth these love, this love and our affections. She is more than worth our pursuit. She is a formidable leader. She will not lead us into sin and folly, but rather towards life and towards God himself. She will keep us from those very things that seek to destroy and to harm us. She is also a faithful lover. 
She will not tease. She will not entice us. She will love those who love her. She will bring blessing, the very blessing of God in Christ. She will prove time spent pursuing her was totally worth it. Love wisdom, for she will not let you down. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wisdom. God, we thank you that she is a formidable leader. God, that she will lead us in your direction. That we can know confidently that following in her footsteps will draw us nearer to yourself. And God, we thank you that she is a faithful lover. That she reciprocates the love that we long for. That she reciprocates the blessings of being your children. I pray that each of us here, that we would cast aside folly. That you would forgive us for where we have pursued folly and foolishness. And that we would instead pursue and love wisdom with all our hearts. Would you be glorified in us? Would you grow us in wisdom? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.